0: welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Heather O'Donnell of Honey and Wax Booksellers and Miriam Borden to speak about the recently awarded prize for women book collectors. Welcome,
1: Heather. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me, Um, and uh, it was really fun. I found my way to the announcement of your prize in the Paris Review and, of course, immediately thought, oh, I have to know more about this given that, you know, I'm working with the Yiddish Book Center, and in terms of book collecting, this sounded so intriguing. I wonder if you could talk a little bit uh, both about the bookstore and about the – the prize, its history, Uh, because I'll be speaking with Miriam, one of the award winners for this year, um, about her essay, but I thought if you could give us some background, that'd be great.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I run Honey and Wax Booksellers in Brooklyn, New York. I'm a rare book dealer, dealing mostly in literary history. Um, Four years ago, uh, I founded a prize with uh, my co-founder, Rebecca Romney, uh, who you may have seen on Pawn Stars. Uh, and who runs Type Punch Matrix now in Washington, DC. Rebecca and I are both relatively young uh, women book dealers and we thought it would be fun to start an annual cash prize for a young woman book collector um, as a way of raising interest in book collecting and showcasing the work of women who were building really interesting collections, often on very little, you know, with very little money um, and with no attention or help. <laughs> and so, uh, so we started it in 2017. This is our fourth year and every year we receive, you know, dozens of applications from young woman collectors around the country uh, talking about what got them started, what their collection is about, what principles they observe as they're building it. They give us a bibliography and a wish list of the books they're most hoping to find to complete their collection. Um, and it's really a, a high point of our year to read these these essays and get a sense of all the interesting quirky projects that people are working on uh, around the United States.
0: And, and I read that you, um, and I will quote you, observed that, the women who regularly buy books from us are less likely to call themselves quote collectors than the men even when those women have women have spent years passionately collecting books i think this is a great observation obviously it was a springboard to why you established this but can you speak again a little bit about that
1: sure i mean you know, rebecca and i are both young book dealers um but we've worked for decades in the trade and have, uh, you know, that was an observation that we both had just made, that we often worked with women who had built extraordinary libraries, but who would demur when they were called collectors and say, oh, no, no, no I'm just a dilettante. I just buy what I like. I'm not a collector. Um, and we did a Google image search for book collector, and it was like screen after screen after screen of older white men. And of course, lots of older white men are brilliant collectors, and we love working with them. But we did think it's interesting that there doesn't seem to be any kind of image of a woman book collector when there are so many really interesting ones and it would be great to sort of put that imagery out there and that's part of what the impetus behind the prize was to say it's not just that women could be collectors they actually already are here are some of them meet them look at what they've done um, as a way of maybe inspiring other people not just women to say hey i could do that i'm interested in in that sort of thing so that was was definitely one of our uh, motivations in coming up with the prize.
0: And um, is this the first time you've seen an essay about Yiddish book
1: collecting? You know, we have, it's definitely the first time we have seen an essay entirely devoted to Yiddish books. Um, In previous years, we did have a number of uh, applications that dealt, I mean, for instance, with say uh, the Holocaust and would have a couple of Yiddish books as part of the bibliography. But this was the first one entirely devoted to works in Yiddish.
0: And can I ask you, um, sort of briefly, to uh, maybe tease out some of the different kinds of collections that um, you've, re- you know, you've reviewed or you've given, you know, you've awarded over the
1: years that you've been offering the prize? Sure. I mean, people organize their collections along all kinds of principles. So uh, our first winner in 2017 uh, was organized her collection by genre and period. So she did American romance novels of the 1920s and 1930s in their original dust jackets. And she had collected hundreds of them and done a kind of breakdown of the way that different societal you know, uh, changes in American life, particularly the rise of the working woman as a heroine, had sort of changed the, the genre, a genre that we often think of as very formulaic, nonetheless had really risen to meet the demands of uh, changing society. So that was really cool, and that was one that was you know, just based around a, a genre, the romance novel. Our second year, in 2018, we awarded the prize to a collection of different books in all different genres illustrated by a husband and wife illustrator team, Leo and Diane Dillon, a really fascinating interracial couple who did amazing I and mean, some very famous um, book, book graphic design. They did... Uh, Langles, Wrinkle in Time very famously. They won the Caldecott Award, I think, twice. I mean, they did all kinds of, they did sci-fi, they did classic fiction, they did children's books, um, but what was interesting about them is that because they were working professional illustrators for decades, not all of their work was signed and not all of it, there had never been like a proper bibliography, so she was always coming across uncredited examples of their work and trying to put together a sort of comprehensive account of the things they had done together Their mission was to show a wider range of faces and people uh, on book jackets. And so that was was one that was based entirely around an illustrator. And then last year, we gave the prize to a woman who had collected hundreds of self-made, fan-made comics that interacted with existing comic universes. So a kind of um, fanfic intervention, dealing with a lot of Japanese material because that's a very strong genre in Japan, but also some American uh, things and just a fascinating collection that you could never buy because so much of it had to be sort of traded at Comic Cons and things like that. Just a a really interesting, and that I guess is also a genre. that is not very widely collected by institutions. So we were really excited to see so much of that material brought together with a really excellent essay. Other other, uh, principles, I mean, some people collect a single author. Some people collect a single title in multiple editions and talk about the way that the different republication of a particular book reflects changes in uh, a society or um, a genre. Um, People collect by subject. They collect by publisher sometimes, they collect by illustrator. Um, there are lots of, of different ways to do it, and we're always really interested when somebody comes up with a principle that no one has done for us before. One of the applications we got this year was books that do things, like scratch and sniff or pop-up, um, that, you know, that have like a kind of tactile element to them or a sensory element to them, which we thought was kind of fun. So um, to those are some of the examples of things that we've seen over the past four years. Well, it's, it's
0: wonderful. Um, it's a little quirky, but it's really fabulous to get to know some of these collectors and to see that passion put to um, you know, building these collections that all have different perspectives to them. So thanks so much for joining me, um, and we're about to talk to Marion and I wonder, before I let you go, if you can just let listeners know how to find Honey & Wax Booksellers.
1: Sure. Well, you can visit Honey & Wax Booksellers online. We're www.honeyandwaxbooks.com, and we also have a uh, presence on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. So follow along any way that you like. The prize is annual, and we'll be opening up the 2021 prize in February.
0: Great. Thank you so much, and thank you for all that you bring to the conversation. This is fabulous, and uh, look forward to sharing out the essays and seeing what, what's next. So thanks again for joining us today. Thanks
1: so much for having me.
0: Miriam, thanks for joining me to talk about your award-winning essay about women book collectors. I just I spoke with Heather O'Connell of Honey and Wax Booksellers about the contest and was excited, which I was excited to see, actually, that you had won the 2020 Women with Prize-Winning Book Collections with your essay titled 20th Century Yiddish Primers and Workbooks for Children. So, um, again, thanks for joining me. and excited to talk about all of this with you.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Um, So let's start with... uh, what your background is with
2: Yiddish. Well, I began learning Yiddish in university. I began um, at Rutgers University when I was in my first year of undergraduate. Um, And I remember being really tickled to see that Yiddish was offered as a course. It was never something that I had set out to study. Um, I thought I was gonna become a journalist and leave the world of Jewish studies behind because I'd come from um, 18 years of, of, of yeshiva education. So I was ready to move on. and then. I fell into Yiddish, and Yiddish kind of found me as much as I found it. Um, And I continued with it until uh, today, I'm doing a PhD in Yiddish studies at the University of Toronto.
0: Great, and um, I found my way to the announcement in my news aggregator, um, which includes the Paris Review, and I read about the contest. Um, Your name resonated with me because I believe that you are an alumna of the Yiddish Book Center, one of our educational programs. And this seems to connect a little bit to your collection uh, in an interesting way. Can you again speak a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Uh, You know,
2: the Yiddish Book Center has been for me really like my guiding light in Yiddish through the last probably 10 years. Um, I have been a huge beneficiary of everything the Book Center has done, um, from its translation, you know, initiatives to um, I'm I'm, I work with the oral history, the Wexler Oral History Project. Um, as an, a field fellow, so I, I do um, oral history interviews in my geographic region, which is Toronto. Um, I, I was a pedagogy fellow for 2019 and 2020, which meant that I got to um, test the, the new in textbook in my actual classroom. That was really exciting. Um, so, yeah, I've been, I've been involved with the book center in many ways. I have been a fan of the book center for a long time. Um, and in my classes now, I use the and the resources, the online resources, constantly. Um, even today, I'm about to teach a class on Yod Parrots, and we're gonna be looking at one of the Teach Great Jewish Books teacher resources. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big, big fan.
0: Well, that's cool, but your essay is about primers, which also was curious um, in terms of both uh, the programs that you've been involved with and primers. So maybe let's talk a little bit about um, Yiddish primers, uh, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with them, um, it's a genre that's near and dear to me because it also has, they're, they're interesting in the way that they're illustrated and sometimes and they, they tell large stories.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, so my collection of primers really, I, I, I view it um, very much um, in line with uh, Naomi Prower Kadar's dissertation and book, Um, called Raising Secular Jews, which was about the periodicals um, in the Yiddish school systems. Um, When I began to collect Yiddish books, and again, I'm not sure this is something that I necessarily set out to do. Um, Yiddish books very much found their way to me and continue to find their way to me. Um, I think it has a lot to do with where I live. Um, Like I said, I live in Toronto, which is a place that, um, well, I think due to immigration patterns and the fact that there is such a large um, post-war Immigrant community here, um, many, if not all of whom spoke yiddish it's, it's very Polish here, and so many, many Polish Jews came here after the war, um, can either you know brought things with them or, or acquired books here, and then of course, fast forward a few generations, their children and grandchildren are trying to find um, ways to kind of handle these collections um, as they inherit them and, and um, fairly often they find my email address, or, or they find me some other way, and I end up with these books. And um, in addition to sort of private collections that find their way to me, um, it's this interesting moment, I think, to be living in Toronto and to be someone who speaks and is interested in Yiddish, because some of the oldest organizations and institutions that were historically Yiddish speaking in the city are beginning to enter the next phase of their lives. So, um, for example, the Toronto Workers' Circle um, just sold its building um, last December, December 2019, and I was lucky enough to have a front row seat. I basically said to them, um, well, because I've read Outwitting History and because I, I know the story of the Book Center, uh, I know what can often happen when um, projects like this are not, um, when you don't keep an eye, you know, on on the on the, material, the Yiddish materials that are kind of, that, that become at risk um, when buildings like this, you know, sell or, or, um, or pack up for any other reason. And so I said, listen, if you have books and you don't know what to do with them, give me a call. I don't know if I'll take them, but I will definitely help you figure out what to do with them. Because uh, the last thing I wanted was for these books to sort of get lost. Um, and what ended up happening was Mel Cederbaum, the director of the worker circle here, um, he would call me every few weeks and say, hey, Miriam, I have some more books for you. Do you want to come look at them? And I would go up to the, to the, the building. Um, and, you know, there'd be boxes everywhere, and he'd be packing things up as I arrived, and he'd say, oh, yeah, this pile here, this is for you. And they were just tons of primers for kids um, from the old Yudlamid Peretz school that, that once op- was operated in the Workers' Circle building. Um, I don't even know when that building closed, or when that school closed, um, but those the books were dusty. They had not been looked at in a long time. Um, and they were just remarkable. I mean, there were... It's not just that they were textbooks and you know pristine primers. Um, they were also workbooks, and there was evidence of use. And that was really, really um, interesting and exciting to me. Was that it wasn't just evidence of this kind of literature for children and um, you know ed- this sort of educational world for children in Yiddish. It was also evidence of their involvement and their engagement with this stuff. And so you know you'd see doodles, um, sometimes vulgar and sometimes just funny. Um, sometimes notes to their friends Um, you'd see uh, you know two names written with a heart around like like you know um, so and so sitting in a tree Um, you just got kind of this like this this glimpse into this really dynamic world of not just kids learning Yiddish which you know we can um, romanticize and we can um, dream about but also, but just like their everyday reality, which is like, it's not so romantic, you know? Um, You know, on the one hand, sure, they are, um, they're learning the language, they're inheriting the tradition. On the other hand, they're kids, and they're doing what kids do with their books. They're not treating them particularly well. They're doodling in them. Um, And you really, you kind of get inside the heads of these kids, and that was what I found so exciting, specifically about the the primers and the workbooks. One
0: came in and somebody was on, Unboxing, as I say, uh, books that had come to the Yiddish book center, and it was really funny. They pulled out a primer and it had these um, drawings of the teacher that were you know very revealing it was very not revealing in any revealing way, but just that there was a slight edge to them, and it was very funny because as you say you really you get a sense of of the the school children and sort of their shenanigans and how they're engaging with stuff and it's not all that different um right also interesting and and I think um let's let's talk a little bit actually um about your essay because I think it touches on some interesting things and how you found your way to even knowing about this award and then writing the winning essay
2: yeah um well, I found out about the award um, through an archivist, actually, um, an archivist at the Ontario Jewish Archives. Who um, I work, I work pretty closely with the Ontario Jewish Archives. I work as a translator um, and a researcher, um, and I and I, I I do a weekly Instagram post for them, the hashtag Yiddish Word of the Week that comes right out of their collection, and so um, they know that this is something that I'm very interested in. And one of the archivists actually alerted me to the um, to the award. Um, I was. I had heard of, of the competition kind of very um, very briefly and kind of forgettably um, a while ago because part of what I do as part of my, um, in my doctoral program is that I am in the book culture sorry, I' am in the Book History and Print Culture program at the University of Toronto. It's a collaborative program that um, allows us to take a really really close look at uh, the material book culture of, um, of, of, of printed. I should say, the material culture of printed books. Um, so we look very carefully at paper quality and ink and illustration and things like that. And so, so because I'm involved in that world, I guess I, I had heard of this collection, of, of this competition. Um, what really struck me when I, looked, when I looked into it more, what really struck me was the way they were interested, Honey and Wax booksellers in Brooklyn were interested in highlighting women collectors because, you know, as a student of book history, this is something I see all the time. Um, book history is a field, um, it's very male dominated, um, it's very white, um, it's very old school in many ways, um, and it was really exciting for me to see a competition that was interested in, um, in highlighting the work of younger women who were doing this work, um, and so, um, I'm sorry. What was the rest of your question? I forgot now. <laughs>
0: um, I, I think you answered how you how you found your way to this um, in terms of applying or you know, submitting an essay to this, mm. and uh, also um, you know were you surprised? I guess I would do a follow up question. Were you surprised that Yiddish primers made it uh, <laughs> to the to the winning uh, winning slot?
2: I am flabbergasted. I am delighted and totally flabbergasted. Um, You know it was interesting i was writing this essay um and i actually titled it it was called building a nation of little readers 20th century yiddish primers and workbooks for children and when i chose that title and and as i wrote the essay i was thinking to myself oh my god is there any way i can i can distill this what's really a really complex um and not uncontested you know history of yiddish literature and um, the emergence of yiddish literature and yiddish books and all that Can I distill that down to something that will be interesting and engaging for a non-specialist and not even Jewish audience? You know, I find it's hard enough to get um, Jews to care about Yiddish. (laughs) Um, How am I going to get a a completely different audience to think about this stuff? And um, basically what I did was I I thought about the history as I know it. And I I went through and sort of I spun a narrative, um, a narrative that I think rings true in many ways of the way that Yiddish and Hebrew um, together were sort of the fight for um, the soul of the Jewish nation at a certain point in history. And that the Yiddish, um, Yiddish schools where so many of these books were used by Jewish children, um, they were one answer to, to that question. Um, and I, I think that's a compelling story. And obviously <laughs> the judges at Honey and Wax booksellers um, agreed with me.
0: It does tell a really great story, Um, and we'll later talk about how people can read the essay. Um, It's always fascinating to me to see how the passions of a collector can lead to building a collection. And I want to ask you, you know, is there a story about the acquisition of one book, or is there, uh, you know, sort of maybe favorite book isn't the right word, but something that was um, kind of, monumental or defining in terms of building the collection?
2: Mm, that's a great question. Mm, I have to think about that for a second. Well, I think the story of how I, how I acquired uh, the majority of these books is itself um, interesting and, and kind of tragic and also um, entertaining and kind of wonderful in so many ways. Um, and that is, yeah, through, through the sale of the Worker's Circle building in Toronto. Um, you know, it's a building that stood in the same spot um, since the 1950s, you know, in a building that was built for them in the 1950s. It had their name in Yiddish, in, in these like cast iron letters on the front of the building. It was so much a Yiddish building. Um, and then to be in that building, collecting these books that nobody had used in years, um, that to me, that, that whole story is just so full of, poignancy Um, and you know and then and then and then to go through these books and be just like so delighted and entertained by by what i found inside Um, so many yiddish books that i have other books that are not for children that are not primers or workbooks are um they're, they're they're clean copies they're unmarked they almost look like they've never been read and i think that's kind of interesting too these books were totally different. These books had been not just read; they had been thrown, they had been torn, they had been tossed around, they had been shared by multiple students. Um, so there was just such—the uh, books were like vibrating with this sense of life and history. And the interesting thing about it is that I know like a handful of of children today who who can read Yiddish, and and that w- there was there was this, um, yeah, this kind of tragic contrast there between. Um, how few Jewish kids I know today who could read these books and how many books I had. Um, they just didn't, they didn't match up. Um, and yeah, I think there was, there was one book in particular that um, had been used by several different kids. And you can see that because the, the handwriting that's like all over the book in every margin um, is, is all the, it, it's just so different. So there's obviously a, a few different kids who use this book um, who doodled in it. And, there are caricatures of the teacher, several of them, um, who's obviously a rabbi with a beard. Um, there are initials um, at the front cover, at the back cover. There are there's the address of, of you know whoever used it at the time. So there's like three or four addresses um, scribbled into the front corner, into the front cover. Um, in, in in the front cover, it's in Yiddish, and you go to the back cover, and it's the same address in English. Um, there and then there are these like <laughs> kind of lewd drawings. Um, not lewd but um, they're definitely um, facetious um, it's, it's what, what the book is is a history like a Jewish history for children um, through the ages so it's um, in particular and I think I think the honey and wax <laughs> um, jury really like this photo too um, there's one image of, it's an illustration of uh, the story of David and Goliath and David has obviously just shot his slingshot and Goliath is lying on the ground and there's this little speech bubble that some student had drawn coming out of um David's mouth. David who's sort of looking in the background on the scene of Goliath lying down dead. And and he writes, I told you I had to fart. And it's just the <laughs> I remember flipping to that page and just and laughing out loud. And you know, the these like, you know, these serious stories about, you know, the legends of Jewish history um, the foundation of you know Jewish national mythology <laughs> and these kids couldn't care less
0: <laughs> yeah it's, um there's something completely charming and revealing about all of all of what you find in these books. It's so true yeah. um, and um and some of the characters are reoccurring in these, right It's a little bit like the Dick and Jane and i I did French primers which were um Pierre and Helen Vincent um and is it true that there are characters who run through these
2: yeah there's Sarala and Berla, and I think they're, they're they're like most famous. I think those are from the Yiddish Kinder books from the worker uh, the worker circle um in the nineteen fifties um there's also um yeah there's Sarala and Berla, and they're like most famous, but then there's always like there's Tata and Mame, and they appear like always. Um, there's Boba and Zeda and they appear all the time too. And it's interesting to see the way they're recurrent characters in some ways because they're these universal characters. Right. But they're also, um, they, they're, they're, they're different depending which book you open. Right. So like there's one book where Boba and Zeda look, are very fashionable. Boba's wearing, um, like a fur coat and a little hat and Zeta is wearing, you know, a fedora and a suit. You look very smart. Um, and then there's other ones where Boba is, um, a Boba from a hundred years ago. Um, you know wearing a tichel and and you know slaving over a hot stove somewhere in a shtetl. and so it's really really interesting to see these books sort of um they depict kind of the the evolution of of not just of the jewish community but of jewish self-perception right and that's what i find so interesting when you compare for example several primers over time right um what i love is you know I, don't, I guess this comes down to um, the editor of the primer, the authors, um, the illustrators. It's probably a, it's a group effort, I'm sure. But like, at what point were those decisions made? Um, who made the decision to make Boba look this way on this page and then look totally different on another page? Um, so, so, yeah, the kind of um, the approach to each of these primers from an editorial perspective is also super interesting to me.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me today, for your passion and the collection and the winning essay. Congratulations, Mazel Thank you. And if our listeners want to find their way to the essay, is it available to read online?
2: It is, yeah. If you go to the Honey and Wax um, Book Collecting Prize website, um, it's very easy to find if you just Google it. Um, you'll see, um, yeah, you'll see a small write-up about my collection um, and some of the other collections that received honorable mentions for 2020. There are some great collections that I really recommend everybody check out. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a link also to my essay as well as my annotated bibliography um, of a selection of my collection.
0: Great. And I guess the last question I have for you, um, you're in Toronto. You make the collection somewhat accessible,
2: correct? well uh yeah in the sense that uh, my garage is always open (laughs) um i'm always inviting people to come over and, and 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 see the books and handle the books i think it's really special to actually hold some of these books in your hands um yeah i i bring um students of mine um i invite friends uh i invite my friends grandparents some of whom you know actually use these books um yeah so so i i always welcome people to knock on my door and um and go diving you know into my Yiddish book collection with me.
0: Great, Um, well thank you and I hope that you will be able to have you back to the Yiddish Book Center at some time in the not too distant future so you can um, rummage rummage through the shelves in the repository and see what you can come up with.
2: Me too, me too. All
0: right, stay well and uh, thanks again for joining us and um, for sharing your passion.
1: Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit yiddishbookcenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.